Romans. Well, it's great to be together this morning to worship God. Amen? It's great to have... Okay, let's try that. Great to be together to worship God this morning. Amen? All right, a little closer. All right, uh, welcome all the Yopros from Duluth. Great to see Tyler from Milwaukee, Alley, Minneapolis, all you guys. Great to see you. Um, some prodigal sons and daughters returning home, so that's a, you know, hidden message. You can always come back permanently. Uh, it'd be great to have you. Uh, Jeff Mesikowski said, keep it short today, bro. I got to leave at 11. <clears throat> and I said, I'm not keeping it short because I wrote it just for you and I got a lot to say. And, uh, uh, and then he said, I just want to hear... Oh, here's some more prodigal children, uh, Will and Rosalind, uh, so, and baby. I'm very confused right here. I was like, whoa, I didn't, it's not their baby. Okay, it's not fair to do that to me. Okay, anyways, back to Jeff and the sermon that was just for him. He did, ju- he did uh, you know, redeem himself. He said, I just don't want to miss anything. So, uh, anyways, oh, good job, Jeff. Um, it's recorded. You can hear the rest of it after you leave at, at 11 for a worthy cause, I'm sure. Okay, uh, we're talking actually about the book of Judges today. Uh, we're in a series walking through the Old Testament, and our whole goal is to try to understand the character of God, knowing God, knowing God, being one with God, learning about His character, His mind, His heart, His passion, and we can be filled with God and then uh, communicate God and shine God's light into a dark world. So we're going to be looking at the book of Judges today. Last week, Tim did an amazing job speaking about Gideon and took uh, uh, just a, a one little section, one little story about a particular judge's relationship with God. It was excellent. Today, we're just going to kind of do an overview of the whole book and what the message Uh, communicates to us about God. We're going to learn about humanity from the book of Judges. We're going to learn about religion and its attempts to help humanity and actually its failures. And then we're going to learn about the character of God and His solution to our problem. Amen? So humanity, and the title of our message is The God Who Calls Us Out of Darkness and Into the Kingdom of Light. Out of darkness and into the kingdom of light. We're going to show the Bible Project video on the book of Judges in in about a minute. But humanity, left to itself, will always go from darkness to even deeper darkness. Religion attempts to, when it tries to give us external, in other words, not from within, but external rules rituals, regulations to try to stop the darkness, not only does it not work, it can actually lead us to deeper darkness. In a God in response who calls us out of and gives us everything we need to overcome the darkness and to live in the light of his kingdom. He gives us his king, Jesus. He gives us his word. He gives us his way. He gives us his spirit And he gives us his kingdom, a unified community in which we can lock arms together and overcome the darkness. Amen? Okay, so let's go ahead and show 
the book of uh, Judges from the Bible Project. Uh, this is an excellent resource. I would highly encourage you to, to hang out in the Bible Project, and we're going to see an overview of the book of Judges and its message, and then we're going to go from there. of Israel into the promised land. He called them to be faithful to their covenant with God by obeying Israel. All right. The book of Judges. So remember, after Joshua led the tribes of Israel into the promised land, he called them to be faithful to their covenant with God by obeying the commands of the Torah. And if they do this, they will show all the other nations what God is like. So Judges begins with the death of Joshua and basically tells the story of Israel's total failure. The book's name comes from the type of leaders Israel had in this period. Before they had any kings, the tribes were all governed by these judges. Now don't think of a courtroom. These were regional political military leaders, more like a tribal chieftain. And you need to be warned, the book of Judges is very disturbing and violent. It tells the tragic tale of Israel's moral corruption, of its bad leadership, and basically how they become no different than the Canaanites. But this sad story is also meant to generate hope for the future, and you can see this in how the book's designed. There's a large introduction that sets the stage for Israel's failure as they don't drive out the remaining Canaanites. Then the large main section of the book has stories about the growing corruption of Israel's judges, and the progression here shows how Israel's leaders go from pretty good to okay to bad to worse. The concluding section is really disturbing and shows the corruption of the people of Israel as a whole. So let's dive in and we can explore each part a bit more. The opening section begins with the tribes of Israel in their territories in the Promised Land. And while Joshua defeated some key Canaanite towns, there was still a lot of land to be taken and lots of Canaanites living in those areas. And so chapter 1 gives a long list of Canaanite groups and towns that Israel just failed to drive out from the land. Now remember, the whole point of driving out the Canaanites was to avoid their moral corruption and their way of worshiping the gods through child sacrifice. God had called Israel to be a holy people, and that does not happen. Chapter 2 describes how Israel just moved in alongside the Canaanites and adopted all their cultural and religious practices. And it's right here that the story stops. For nearly a whole chapter, the narrator gives us an overview of everything that's about to happen in the body of the book. This part of Israel's history, the narrator says, was a series of cycles moving in a downward spiral. So Israel became like the Canaanites, and so they would sin against God. So God would allow them to be conquered and oppressed by the Canaanites, and eventually the Israelites would see the error of their ways and repent. So God would raise up a deliverer, a judge, from among Israel who would defeat the enemy and bring about an era of peace. But eventually Israel would sin again, and it would all start over. 
This cycle provides the literary design and flow for the next main section of the book. It gets repeated for each of the six main judges whose stories are told here. Now the stories of the first three judges, Othniel, Ehud, and Deborah, they are epic adventures. They're also extremely bloody stories. Either the judge themselves or people who help the judge, they defeat their enemies and deliver the people of Israel. The stories about the next three judges are longer, and they focus in on the character flaws of the judges, which get increasingly worse. So Gideon, he begins pretty well. He's a coward of a man, but he eventually comes to trust that God can save Israel through him. And so he defeats a huge army of Midianites with only 300 men carrying torches and clay pots. But Gideon has a nasty temper, and he murders a bunch of fellow Israelites for not helping him in his battle. And then it all goes downhill from there. He makes an idol from the gold that he won in his battles. And then after he dies, all Israel worships the idol as a god, and the cycle begins again. The next main judge is Jephthah, who's something of a mafia thug living up in the hills. And when things get really bad for Israel, the elders come to him begging for his help. And Jephthah was a very effective leader. He won lots of battles against the Ammonites, but he was so unfamiliar with the God of Israel, he treats him like a Canaanite God. He vows to sacrifice his daughter if he wins the battle. This tragic story, it shows just how far Israel has fallen. They no longer know the character of their own God, which leads to murder and to false worship. The last judge, Samson, is by far the worst. His life began full of promise, but he has no regard for the God of Israel. He was promiscuous, violent, and arrogant. He did win brutally strategic victories over the Philistines, but only at the expense of his own integrity, and his life ends in a violent rush of mass murder. Now, a quick note here. You'll notice a repeated theme in the main section of the book, that at key moments, God's Spirit will impact these judges to accomplish these great acts of deliverance. Now, the fact that God uses these really screwed up people doesn't mean he endorses all or even any of their decisions. God is committed first and foremost to saving his people, but all he has to work with is these corrupt leaders, and so work with them he does. This whole section is designed to show just how bad things have gotten. You can't even tell the Israelites and the Canaanites apart anymore, and that's just the leaders. The final section shows Israel as a whole hitting bottom. There are two tragic stories here, and they are not for the faint of heart. They're structured by this key line that gets repeated four times at the close of the book. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The first story is about an Israelite named Micah who builds a private temple to an idol, and that gets plundered by a private army sent from the tribe of Dan. So they come and they steal everything, and then they go and burn down the peaceful city of Laish and murder all of its inhabitants. It's a horrifying story. When Israel forgets its God, might makes right. The final story of the book is even worse. It's a shocking tale of sexual abuse and violence, which all leads to Israel's first civil war. It's very disturbing. And that's the point. These stories are meant to serve as a warning. Israel's descent into self-destruction is the result of turning away from the God who loves them and saved them out of slavery in Egypt. And now Israel needs to be delivered again from themselves. 
The only glimmer of hope in this story is found in this repeated line in the last part of the book. It actually forms the last sentence of the story. Israel has no king. And so the stage is set for the following books to tell the origins of King David's family, the book of Ruth, and also the origins of kingship itself in Israel, the book of 1 Samuel. But the story of Judges has value as a tragedy. It's a sobering explanation of the human condition, and ultimately it points out the need for God's grace to send a king who will rescue his people. And that's the book of Judges. <clears throat> okay, the book of Judges. The darkest times in the history of the people of God. And what we're going to do for our message today is we're going to examine the darkness because guess what? The darkness hasn't gone away, okay? Um, but the good news is that we have a king and we have the spirit. And I'm going to get into that in a, in a little bit. But we're going to examine the darkness and then we're going to enter the light, okay? And then we're going to have some practical convictions and applications we can take away for ourselves, Okay, examination of the darkness. You know, God described, it's interesting how even amongst the leaders you have this mix of good and evil. Remember what Gideon said? He said, for the Lord and for Gideon. And so much of my own experience spiritually is there's this, this conflict within, right? There's this battle. Uh, the battle of the spirit, the battle of the good. I'm created in the image of God. And yet I have a dark side to myself. I have a darkness that, that literally scares me sometimes when I really see it in all its truth. Are you with me there? And there's this battle of good versus evil. For the Lord and for Gideon, and you see Gideon do all these uh, amazing things through the power of God when the Spirit of God came upon him. And yet he makes this idol in his own image and worships it and has... Israel bow down to it. It's like, boy, this mix, right? And you see the mix, though, getting worse and worse and worse as the, the book covers a period of about 300 years. So this isn't just overnight. This isn't just one lifetime. It's about, and it's not about just one individual. It's about the community of Israel getting darker and darker over time. And at the end, it's so dark. Um, uh, you have... Uh, you have multiple wives. You have impurity and immorality running rampant. You have a, a, a community of God's people wanting to, to gang rape a, a, a visitor. This is God's people. This is not the Canaanites. Okay, so a new man comes in town, wanting, much like Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and the, the man says, no, don't take the visitor. Take my virgin daughter and my concubine instead. And so they said, okay, and so they, they ravaged her all night long, the people of God. And she was in such distress. And then the husband, when she sees the, he sees the condition she's in, she literally murders her, cuts her up into 12 pieces, and sends her out to the 12 tribes of Israel, Say, look at what happened. I mean, it's like, it is, it's horrible. Are you with me there? Darkness, deep darkness. And yet, we need to make sure that we don't sit in judgment on that darkness. 
because we have that same darkness in ourselves, the human race. Uh, you know, I, I brought the newspaper this morning. It's like, you know what, I don't even, do I really need to go into the newspaper? We all know what's in the newspaper, right? The levels of darkness, corruption that are going on in our own neighborhoods, in cities. How did this happen? We have to ask the question, how? How? And this is where we get insight into the human condition, the downward spiral. Romans 1, verse 21. I want to read this, and then we'll go back to the book of Judges. But Romans 1 teaches us. In, in Romans 1 and 2, we see what's called the progression of sin. We've all sinned. Every human has sinned. But what happens with that sin? Once we sin, is it, it becomes a power in us. And it becomes enslaving to us such that once we sin, we may feel a little guilt or bad, but then pretty soon we want to sin more. And in order to sin more, we have to compromise more conscience, more of the scriptures, whatever. And we also have to cover it up more. And so there's this circle of sin, feel bad, but then want to sin more, feel bad, want to sin more, darkness, deceit, cover up. And Romans 1 and 2 is written by the Apostle Paul. Was Paul standing on his high horse saying, oh, this terrible condition of humanity, I would never be that way. Was that Paul's posture as he wrote, empowered by the Holy Spirit? Absolutely not. Paul himself said, I'm chief amongst sinners. So as we talk about the darkness today, let's be sure we don't stand outside of it and point down on it. Let's recognize that we ourselves as humans are a part of this human race, and we are no better. Are you with me there? I stand here today as a messenger. I'm, I am no better in my darkness. Now, I've been rescued from it by a king and given the Holy Spirit, so there's great hope. But outside of that, there is no hope. There's no hope, and religion does not present a hope. Jesus is the hope. So in Romans 1, verse 21, I just want to read this. It says, for even though they knew God, and at one point the people of God, they knew God. Moses knew God, right? Joshua knew God. They saw God rescue them from Egypt. The people of God saw the cloud and saw the pillar of fire take them through the wilderness. Okay, so although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Boy, this doesn't describe the Israelites. This describes myself. This describes us. And it says a, a series of, so they had idol worship, and God gave them over uh, to impurity, and then God gave them over to more impurity and immorality. And uh, um, I just want to read the conclusion of this in chapter 1, verse 32. It just describes the level of darkness sinking deeper and deeper into themselves. and says, And although they knew the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. In other words, not only does the darkness become so commonplace that we rationalize and we justify and we say, well, everyone else is doing it too. 
And so, therefore, the darkness becomes so commonplace that our only way to live with ourselves is to finally say, you know what? It's not so bad. I mean, I guess it's okay. Matter of fact, anyone who says it is bad, they're bad. Boy, if there's ever a way to describe 21st century world, it's that right there. Anyone who says something is wrong anymore, you're wrong for being judged. Wait a second. There is right and there is wrong. And matter of fact, it is a blessing to actually speak the truth that if something's wrong, we call it wrong. Right? I love my children. And so therefore, when they do wrong, I'm going to say, son, can I talk to you for a minute? And we have a conversation about right and wrong, not in a condemning way, but in a rescuing way. Amen? Okay. And so, but the, 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 the chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, you, who, you have no excuse. Every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. This is, this is what rescues us from being self-righteous. Right? Say, well, I didn't murder my concubine and send her to the... No, you may have not done that outwardly, but whoever lusts in their hearts inwardly has done is the same as... Right, right? So Jesus took us back to... It's not the outward action. It's the inward disposition. It's the inward inclination of evil. And I don't think there's anyone amongst us today, right, that would argue, I have an inward inclination toward evil. I know I sure wouldn't. Okay, so, so we get here, we see this downward spiral, the disregard of God, the worship of false idols, the impurity, the degrading impurities, the depraved mind, the approval of the darkness, the condemnation of the light. All of us are in this progression unless we enter the light. So Paul, because he was rescued by King Jesus and he was given the Holy Spirit, he can now have hope in escape from the darkness. I want to talk a little bit more. Let's go to why. So that's the how, but what's the why? Let's go back to Judges. Let's go back to Judges. And while we're going to talk about darkness, which can be convicting, we're going to get, actually, the light shines the brightest in the dark place. Okay? So in order to see the beauty of a diamond, right, what do you put it up against? A dark black mat. Okay? And so this, this message can actually be very encouraging about what God does. Okay? But we gotta, we've got to struggle through and be honest through the darkness. That's what gives us hope. Okay, so Judges chapter 16. I, wanna, I want us to examine this common phrase toward the end where the author of Judges is clearly trying to make a point as far as why did this happen? Why did the Israelites end up this way? Judges chapter 17, verse 6 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And by the way, that right in his own eyes needs clarification. That doesn't sound too bad. No king, okay. Um, everyone just does what's right. What's wrong with that, right? No, that's really not what it's saying. It's everyone just did what they wanted to do is a better translation of that, or that more translates the meaning 
of what that means, okay? Everyone did what was pleasing to himself, okay? So there's no king, and everyone just follows their own pleasures, puts themselves first, okay? Uh, chapter 18, verse 1, in those days there was no king in Israel. In chapter 19, verse 1, now it came about in those days when there was no king in Israel. And then in chapter 21, the whole conclusion of the book says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What is this trying to communicate? This is trying to communicate why there's so much darkness. Okay, clearly there's no king. Okay, uh, how does your workplace do with an absence of leadership? How does your family do? How does your neighborhood do? How does our church do? How, do, how does your Bible talk do or small, right? When there's an absence of God, one of the messages of the book of Judges is found by Deborah, who is a, a leader, a prophetess, a hero in the book of Judges. Chapter 5, she says this. It says, when the princes of Israel take the lead and the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. In other words, she's saying, hey, when the leaders lead, things go better. Isn't it easy for leaders to not lead and to abdicate their leadership? We see this all the way back into the Garden of Eden when Adam said, well, whatever, I'm following you, Eve. He abdicated his leadership and there was curse. Okay, And when the people willingly offer themselves, so when the leaders lead and people volunteer, there's an incredible blessing on the community. But when the leaders don't lead or the people don't volunteer, then there's bad things that happen. Okay, So there's no king. When there's no king, there's no way of the king. You know, we're talking about more about this in a minute with Jesus. But the presence of King Jesus presented the way of King Jesus. Okay, And then another crucial part of this is there's no personal conviction amongst the people. There was no personal conviction. What do I mean by that? Say, so, well, when there was a leader and he was leading strongly, then everyone was like, okay, sounds good, and we'll follow. But then when the leader dies, then everyone's like, oh, he's gone. Now I can just go do what I want again, right? What, is that, what does that mean? That means there's an absence of personal, heartfelt conviction. Regard that that will be lived out from the center regardless of what everyone else does. Does that make sense? Sometimes when I study the Bible with people and we count the cost, we pose the question, what if everyone else in the community just turned their back on God? What would you do? What if, what if, no one, what if we said, you know what, we're just going to cancel church. We're going to cancel discipleship groups. We're, gonna can't, we're not going to do anything the community does. What would you do? Would your spot, response be like, sweet, now I can just do what I want. Or would it be like, wait a second, that's wrong. I don't care what else anyone's going to do. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to get together. We're going to confess our sins. Church meeting at my house. Amen? That's because there's personal conviction that's not dependent on others, uh, especially leaders, okay? So there's no personal conviction and there's no unified community. Everyone just did what they saw fit in their own eyes. That means there's no community, a unified community with one Lord, one faith, one body operating as a team, as a family. 
So the result was, therefore, I'm my own king, I'm going my own way, and I'm doing whatever's best for me, and I'm on my own. Once again, does that not sound like Western individualism? <laughs> does that not sound like the American dream? I'm free to do whatever I want. I'm free to go my way. I'm going to make my millions. And uh, whatever happens to my neighbors or whatever, good luck. Okay? Um, it leads to darkness, ever-increasing darkness. So what's the answer? A better human king? Well, we tried that with King David. We'll get into that in a minute. But actually, good human kings were never the answer. Because every human leader we see all throughout biblical history had that mix of humanity in them. So Abraham didn't really trust God, offered, uh, uh, you know, tried to do it his own way. Uh, Moses, right, went, didn't make it in the promised land because he had tr troubles with his anger. King David, right, he had troubles with impurity, covering up in murder, his own darkness, right? And then the kings went downhill. There were some good kings in there. But uh, it, it got to the, finally it gets to the end where the, the religion, the people have to get to the end of themselves before they finally realize, I need help. We need help. Enter King Jesus. Amen? Enter King Jesus. And actually, I also want to talk about personal conviction. Daniel chapter 7 says there's a vision of King Jesus. But I want to skip over to Ezekiel chapter 11 for a second. What about this heart that you and I experience? What about this, this, this hard heart, this evil in my own heart, my inclination toward evil? Uh, Ezekiel chapter 11 says there's, there's hope for that in the new covenant. This is a... This is a prophecy of the new covenant in verse, um, verse 17. It says, Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries among which you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. When they come there, they will remove all its detestable things and all its abominations from it. And I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. And I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. Then they will be my people and I shall be their God. One more verse. But as for those whose hearts go after their detestable things and abominations, I will bring their conduct down on their own heads, declares the Lord. Let's start with that last section. Listen, God, all that God does in order to teach us is he lets us reap what we sow. Right? There's, there's, he lets us reap the consequences of our previous decisions. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Whoever reaps, he, he, he reaps what he sows. Okay, Galatians chapter 6. Okay, so God's not up there being like, hmm, I'm going to wait. Where, where's someone going to mess up? Where's that Dave Hoverson? He's gonna, he, did he mess up? Wrath! Got him! Is that, is that God? So, some of us, that's, our God, that's the God that we know. Just a wrathful God. Waiting for someone to catch him in bad. No, that's not God. God loves us. He doesn't want us to catch us in bad. But he has to let us reap what we sow so we'll learn and be transformed. Okay? But then he says here, he says, listen, this heart of stone that we see amongst the, the Israelites, I'm going to remove that. And I'm going to put a soft heart 
in. What does that sound like? Where's that soft heart going to come from? Is that soft heart going to come from your own goodness of heart? Listen, we tried that, right? Who, who of us has not tried to do good on my own strength? I try to do good. I try to tell the truth. I try not to be impure. I try to be humble. But my flesh, you know, try challenging me. In my flesh, I'm like, now I learned it pretty quickly as a young Christian how to not respond pridefully. Oh, thank you. Um, I really see that. Yes, thank you for bringing that up. I'll repent. I'm sorry. I knew the words, right? But in my heart, I was like, you know, come on, I'll take you out. You know, what about you? I saw you being prideful too. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like outward, inward. Are you with me there? Well, I had to reap what I had sown there because you don't fool God and you didn't, you didn't fool anyone else, okay? Well, actually, I probably did fool a few people. You know, tear, tear, shed a tear. That fools a lot of people, okay? All right? But, but uh, he says, no, I'm going to give you, it's kind of like, who, who, who has uh, PCs? And, and, and I know there's some Apple people here who will scoff at this, who will look self-righteously down on this. But for those of us who have PCs, what starts to happen to the hard drive at times? It starts to get a bug in there. It starts to get corrupt, right? And how good does a corrupt hard drive do at fixing itself? It's struggling, right? It maybe even wants to fix itself, but it doesn't fix itself. See, that's like a human trying to be good out of his own good heart. The, the only goodness that comes is from our good God, amen? And so when we are baptized, when we repent of our sins, we receive the forgiveness of our sins, our baptism, and we receive the most blessed gift ever. It's called the Holy Spirit, Though the Holy Spirit comes in us, and that's our soft heart. That's our good heart. Because now the Spirit of God, who is good, and who is kind, and who is loving, and who is faithful, He lives in us, and if we keep in step with the Spirit, Galatians, Romans 8, right? Then that can be what comes out of our hearts. That's the hope. So let's talk about entering the light. Entering the light. I already lost Jeff, but we're almost done. Okay? Entering... The light. We've examined the darkness. Now we're going to enter the light. Let's read some encouraging verses about the new covenant, the new promise that's prophesied about in Ezekiel and Daniel, what the book of Judges points towards. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. It says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. So Jesus is our King. He is Lord. He is King of Kings. And that is what our, that's what we preach. This is our message. And ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Uh, even the leaders here amongst us, we're really not the leaders. The leaders are only servants. Amen? Jesus is the head of his people. Jesus is the king of kings. The rest of us are bondservants or slaves, simply keeping and trying to keep in step with Jesus. Uh, for Jesus' sake. For God said, God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter 2. Let's flip over there quick. First Peter chapter 2. So God doesn't abandon his people to the darkness. 
He calls them out. He rescues them. Verse 9, it says, oh, wrong chapter. Actually, I'll just read it here, huh? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. That's like driving out all the Canaanites, right? Don't just leave some of the Canaanites in the land and live with them. Get it all out. That's repentance. Uh, keeping your behavior, keep your behavior excellent to Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds they, as they observe them glorifying God in the day of visitation or in the day of salvation. 1 Peter chapter 2, out of the darkness into the light. Why do we have the light? Because number one, we have the king of kings. Jesus is the king. And is he king of your life is the question. He's the king and he's a good king and he's a sovereign king and he's a loving king and he's a wise king. But is he your king? Is he your king? The king's way. Matthew 5 through 7, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. This is the way of Jesus. The way of the heart. Not outward performance or external conformity, but the way of the heart, inner transformation, the way of humility, the way of the servant, and the way of love. To not just love those who love us, but to love even our enemies, okay? Jesus came as king, but not as a corrupt king wanting more and more power, but as a servant king, literally laying his own life down for the sheep. That's the king's way. The king's spirit in us which we receive, gives us personal conviction. Deep conviction and alone conviction. I want to I uh, give an example of this. You know, the other day I was talking to a young man uh, in our church, and he was, I was talking to him about, well, where do you think you want to go to college? And he said, I really want to go to uh, Duluth to go to college. And he had gotten... Uh, a score back on a test recently that was a little higher than he expected and said, hey, do you want to maybe go somewhere else? He's like, Dad. Man, I blew it. I, I, I asked his permission to say this, but it was anon I said it'll be anonymous. I probably should just stop. You okay? I got permission? Okay. It's okay, that's kind of a proud dad moment too, okay? <laughs> Confess. She said, Dad, I don't want to just go because of school. I want to go because I can help the kingdom of God there. Boy, talk about a, a proud dad moment, huh? Someone, instead of just putting their own ambitions and career and success, everything comes first. No, 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 that's not what I'm told to seek first. I'm told to seek the kingdom of God first, and everything else will be added unto me. He had his own conviction. Wasn't like told by dad, wasn't told by whatever. His own conviction. What are your own convictions? Do you have your own convictions on sin? 
and purity. If you do, then you'll be no different in front of the church than you are all alone. Do you have your own convictions on how to handle your finances? Greed. Giving to the poor. Giving to the church. If you do, then it won't matter who sees. Your right hand won't know what your left is doing. Right? Because you're doing it for God. Amen? If you have your own convictions, you're going to get up and you're going to read your Bible every day. Why? Because you want to walk with God. You love God. You want to be close to God. Not because someone's going to ask you or that's what we do. Are you with me there? Are you a man or a woman of your own conviction, inspired by the Spirit? Or are you just conforming outwardly to the norms of the society? One will lead to more darkness. One will lead to ever-increasing transformation and to God be the glory. Amen? Okay, in conviction. Okay. And lastly, there's a king's community. The king's, king of kings, the king's way, the king's spirit, and the king's community. As a community, the church is called to be of one mind, one heart, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all, and in all, and through all. Amen? So what keeps us to the Israelites in the book of Judges, one group was doing that. They were killing this group. They were killing that group. They were fighting this group. There's all kinds of division and infighting. The people of God, with Jesus as our king, and the spirit of the king in us, must be different. It's by our love one for another that they'll know you are my people. You are my people. Are we devoted to one another? Are we convicted about getting into our discipling times? Some of us, let me be honest, some of us, we've gone for weeks without a discipling time. Listen, that ain't no one's fault but yours. You need to, get, you need to pick up that phone. You got a phone, right? You got a phone. You can text. You can Snapchat. You can say, hey, I need to get together because I need some discipling. I need to be open. I need to get instruction. I need some encouragement. When can we get together? Amen, amen? amen. Or are you waiting for someone to call you? ever-increasing darkness. Okay, let's be prayer for communion. Amen? Call into, out of darkness into the light. How do we do this? Have you ever made Jesus your king? Jesus, first and foremost, is king of kings. He's not your little friend. He's not your little buddy. He's not your little... Yes, he, he loves you, and he wants to be kind, but don't treat a king of kings disrespectfully. He is a king. Have you made him your king? That means when he, he says what to do, you do it. Well, I'm not quite done yet. You know what? You know what? There is an answer to your deepest struggles. You want to know what it is? It's king of kings taking authority to that deep struggle. So there's, there's suffering, there's hardship, there's trials in your life. Do you need comfort? Yes. And God is the God of all comfort. Does it help? Does it, why is this happening? Yes. But you know what you really need? You need to do what the king of kings says to do. Consider all trials as pure joy. You're probably not going to find that from too many therapists. Though a good few good therapists based on the scriptures, you'll find it. Amen? Okay? So put the king Jesus on top of whatever you're dealing with, and you're going to make progress. But if you victimize yourself and, oh, woe is me, my life is so hard. Yeah, life is hard. Life is hard. Did it, where do in the life's manual was it communicated to you? The ushers are standing in back like, how long is this going to go, bro? Because we could sit down. 
Where in life's manual was it communicated to you that your life would just be easy, peachy, keen? Easy, keen, full of pleasure, everything's just going to go the way you want it to go. Where was that communicated to you? Because wherever it was communicated to you, and whoever communicated that, that was a false message. Life is hard. There's struggle. There's suffering. And it's hard, and it hurts. And I'm not minimizing the pain. All I'm saying is King Jesus also had a hard life. But it was for a purpose. And there's a purpose in your trials. And there's a purpose in your suffering. And it's to glorify Him and help other people. Are you with me there? Okay, back to the conclusion. Make Jesus your king. And if you're anything like me, I made Jesus Lord at baptism, but then guess what? I started to struggle again. A lot of times we need to re-enthrone Jesus as king. As a matter of fact, pretty much every day we got to take ourselves off the throne and put Jesus back on it because the old self is competitive. Now, I want the throne. Who's this Jesus fellow? I want to do what I want to do. So we die to self, off the throne, Jesus back on the throne. Number three, internalize the Spirit's convictions. The Spirit in you is the same Spirit that wrote the Word, is the same Spirit in Jesus, and He's fighting. He's fighting for your heart. Internalize your own. What are your own convictions? What are your convictions? What do you believe? Are you living them out? Have the courage of your own convictions. And lastly, seek first the King and His kingdom. Build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear. Show your mighty hand, heal our streets and our land. Set your church on fire, win all nations back. Change the atmosphere, build your kingdom here, we pray. We got an answer for the darkness, guys. We got an answer. That's King Jesus, and it's the Holy Spirit's convictions within us. Let's go ahead and pray for communion. Father, uh, we are sorry for our sins. We come to you as broken individuals. We come to you full of our own darkness and our own sins and our struggles and our, our evil, our jealousy thoughts. Our, we're, just, we're just struggling. Father, forgive us of our sins. Give us your spirit. Thank you for Jesus. We honor him as we take communion, as our king, our king of kings. Help us, Father, to re-enthrone him as king in our own lives. Help us to follow him. Thank you for the spirit. Thank you for the forgiveness. Thank you that you give us everything we need to follow you, to glorify you. I pray during this time of communion, we can make some decisions as we remember Jesus, that we can make decisions about who is really king in our life. We can make decisions about maybe some convictions of our own that have slipped and fallen by the wayside, and we need to be reconvicted by the Holy Spirit and make some decisions about that. God, thank you for Jesus. We, we remember him, his death, burial, and resurrection, and we proclaim his name until he returns to eternally build his kingdom of light once and for all. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.